everyone. It's great to be with you here this morning as we continue in our uh, in our series going through the uh, the book of uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, I just do need to let you know ahead of our uh, our time together, however, that this passage is the passage in Ephesians that many of you maybe haven't been looking forward to going through uh, in our uh, in our time together. I hope that's not the case, but for some of you, you might be uh, be feeling like that. I pray that you don't feel like that after our time together as we uh, as we come before God's word. Uh, we started this uh, this series needing to address the big topic of predestination, but today, I think, is going to be even more interesting in some ways uh, to uh, to deal with. Um, And out of this morning's time together, I'm more than happy for uh, for any feedback or negative comments, and so if you have any negative comments, please send them through to stephen at brbc.org.au. That would be great. Um, Because a lot of us have been sitting down for a while, please stand to your feet and let's uh, go through uh, this passage together as we are, as we stand. Our passage is this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your hearts. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Thanks, everyone. You can grab a seat. And as you do, tell the person next to you that you are excited to look at this passage the, uh, this morning. For those of you who have joined us especially for Pasco's dedication, you have joined us on an uh, interesting week. It's great to, uh, to have you here. 
Throughout this passage, there are six different groups that are being presented here throughout this passage, and each one of these six different groups is given specific instructions in how they are to interact with other people, depending on the relationships that they have. And my assumption is that every single person in this room and joining with us online either currently fits into one of these six groups, they will fit into one of these six groups in the future, or they have have fit into one of these six groups in the past. My inkling is that most of us have probably fit into more than one of these different, uh, different six groups. And what Paul is doing here effectively is handing out instruction cards to six different groups, each giving them instructions on how to have healthy relationships with one another. But those instructions are for those people and those people alone, and that's particularly important when we come to the first group that is addressed here. The first group being addressed here are wives. So verses 22 and 24, they use this word uh, submit and then we see the word respect in verse 33. And what are we supposed to do with all of that? What do we do with that language? Well, firstly, so one thing to just uh, simply be aware of, there were some, uh, there was some interpretive um, uh, interpretive. Um, things that the translators needed to do when they were addressing this passage. But even apart from that, the truth of, uh, of wives being to Christ as, uh, as the church is to Christ is a theme that is carried through here in, uh, in this passage. The whole passage, however, even before wives are addressed, uh, has this line, submit to one another, which is an essential starting statement that Paul is using when he begins begins his passage here. This is like his subject line before he goes into everything else that he is about to say. Now, Paul's statements here, when we look at uh, what he says to wives, they might come across as, uh, as very patriarchal to 21st century ears, and yet in this day, what Paul is doing is he is elevating women, particularly Jewish women, far above what they had experienced in the past. Jewish women, typically they went to school uh, until they were 12-ish years old, studying the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. But from this point on, they were almost exclusively married off at a very young age. You could have girls who were 12 years old marrying men 20, 30 or even 40 years old. Now, this might sound strange to our 21st century ears here in Australia, but this was normal in Jewish culture in the ancient world. Jewish husbands typically had greater education than their wives and were welcomed in places that women weren't typically allowed to go. And uh, so essentially, in Jewish culture, you had three different classes of people. You had men, then you had women, and then you had slaves and children. Slaves and children were considered property in the ancient world rather than people. And so Paul, right here in his very opening statement, saying, submit to one another, what he is doing here is he is lifting up women as well as children, as well as slaves, all onto a level playing field with one another. He's now providing a level playing field to discuss from that point the specifics of what relationships are to, uh, 
to look like. He lifts everyone in these different groups, husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves and masters, up to this equal playing field at the, top, at the start. He tells all of them to submit to one another, to lay aside their wants and desires for the other people around them. And he then goes to look on, on what this will look like in, uh, in practical terms. If you are wanting a theological term, I would call, uh, I would call Paul an egalitarian complementarian because he believes that men and women are equal in value and worth and status, but he goes on to show that they complement one another in how they operate. Men are not the same as women, irrelevant of what we hear today in our world. So after setting up this level playing field, why does Paul then use this descriptive language that I've been translated into this phrase, wives submit to your husbands? Although Paul was writing to partially a Jewish audience here to the church in Ephesus, it was likely that most of the believers in the church in Ephesus were actually Gentile believers. Depending on the area that you, uh, that you lived in the ancient world, there was a God that the Gentiles would worship who take primacy over the, over the other gods. So different areas had certain gods that they would uh, see as their Uh, as their primary god. And the god that was primarily worshipped in the city of Ephesus was the goddess Artemis. Artemis was an ancient Greek goddess that was associated with, uh, with hunting, wilderness, and childbirth. And in Greek mythology, Artemis was often depicted as a virgin goddess and a skilled huntress known for her independence and strong connection uh, to nature. And Artemis was primarily served by priestesses, not by Uh, not by priests. So in this region, with the Gentiles, the priestesses were the most important people and promoted woman power strongly. Picture them like the most radical, aggressive feminists that you've ever seen in, uh, in your life, the angry people. And this is what a lot of the Gentile believers would have come out of and would have carried these cultural norms into their marriages. It was likely that the women in this society who had come out of a worship of Artemis were domineering over their husbands because that's what the society of Ephesus was like. And it's into this context that Paul is saying, Wives submit to and respect your husbands. He is not being a patriarchal jerk here in, uh, in this moment. So Paul is effectively here solving two different things through these different statements. He is lifting up the Jewish female readers who would have seen their place as below men. He is lifting them up to an equal playing field but he is also bringing down a peg the Gentile female readers who would have been domineering over their, uh, over their husbands. With all of that said, you can't get around the, uh, the phrasing here in this passage, which says, submit to and respect your husbands like the church should to Jesus. And the reason that you can't get away from this is because the, uh, the distinction here is not just those few words that we can see as maybe, a, uh, as maybe Paul just a tr- uh, uh, 
uh, speaking to the culture of the day, but rather Paul speaks to timeless truths of the church and its relationship to Christ here, which makes, uh, I think, some of what he is writing here timeless truths. Now, a quick aside, who is this section of Scripture written to? It's fairly clear. This is written to wives. Now, there have been men and churches and leaders of churches who have used these instructions that are given to wives to cause a great deal of harm, abuse and damage. So for you men, you never, ever, ever get to play this card. You never get to say to your wife, submit to me. That's not your card to play. These instructions are given to wives, so never use that line to try and get your way. So with this instruction, wives submit to and respect your husbands like the church should to Jesus. Is it simply cultural because he's addressing addressing Jewish women uh, and Ephesian women? Or are there timeless truths here? I do believe believe that Elements of this could be partly cultural, but because of Paul's reference to Christ and the church, you can't leave this only as a cultural instruction. So what does it mean like for this truth to be played out in, uh, in everyday life? There's a way of reading the Bible, if you want the technical term, Uh, called redemptive movement hermeneutics. The study of hermeneutics is simply the study of how you read the Bible. Redemptive movement hermeneutics is a way of reading the Bible where you see the first three chapters in Genesis and you see the ending in Revelation and understanding that creation and new creation is God's ideal for the world and that he's wanting to use his followers, us here today, to bring what redemption is possible here and now, and that is part of the reason that we see Jesus pray his prayer in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When we see the kingdom of God realized in all of its fullness, we see that in creation and the new creation. So to understand this, you have to understand this grand narrative of Scripture through this lens, that God creates everything, and there is this place called Eden where heaven and earth, they are overlapping in one. It's perfection where people dwell in the fullness of God's presence. But then they sin, the fall takes place, and everything falls apart really quickly. The kingdom of heaven is no longer overlapping here with earth. It's removed and placed into a separate dimension. Things are irredeemably awful here in this new version of the earth, beginning with Cain killing Abel. And so for God's redemptive work to begin in the world, God decides to start everything again with Noah and his family. After the flood, throughout the Old Testament, God is continually revealing himself to people and he chooses this one nation, Israel, to work with who will begin his redemptive work in the world and lead it towards becoming the new creation. But this work was only going to be able to get the world so far towards achieving uh, the new creation. To achieve complete redemption of creation, God needed to step into the world as Jesus. This Jesus who represented in human form the perfection that creation was supposed to experience. He was the living embodiment of heaven and earth overlapping. 
And then through his death in resurrection, in a moment, God's redemptive uh, plan takes a giant leap forward because now every nation, every tribe, every tongue is invited to join with God in his redemptive plan for the world. And this is where we find ourselves right now. We are on this continuum seeking for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, knowing that one day Jesus will return for a second time, restoring creation and completing the redemptive work. Now, new creation doesn't look the same as, uh, as the previous creation, and yet it is, they are both full realizations of God's kingdom, uh, kingdom come. So what does all of that stuff that I just spoke about, what does that have to do with wives submit to your husbands and respect your husbands? Well, if we want to look for God's ideal in this world, for wives in particular, and understand what trajectory God has us on, then look to creation, a new creation, including when it comes to relationships with one another. Look at the movement and the trajectory that God has us on towards redemption. And God has already given us a picture of what the ideal husband and wife team should look like in the second chapter of the Bible. Because in Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no, uh, no shame. Eve was, even at this perfect moment of creation, Eve was created to be a helper. When we look at God's design, his perfect plan, even back to Eden where the kingdom of God, where heaven and, uh, and earth are overlapping, Eve as a wife was designed to be her husband's helper. You see, biblical submission here is not actually about one party domineering over another, irrelevant of how we might read it. It's about the husband taking the role of the spiritual leader and his wife coming alongside him, enabling, encouraging, supporting and cheering him on to be the best version of himself that he can be. It's not about dominance or the lack of equality. Paul sets up equality here in his opening phrase in this passage. But the wife's job is to help and enable the husband to do everything that God has designed him to do and respect the decisions that he makes for the good of the home. A little while ago, Sarah, my wife, came to me um, looking a, a little bit uncomfortable because after chatting to, uh, because she had been on a conversation with one of her, uh, her mum friends online, and this other mother had been uh, complaining about her husband, saying how annoying she was finding him and how lazy he is and that he just frustrates her no matter what she does. It's no one in this church, all right, don't worry. And as I heard this, all I could think was, 
if Sarah had said this about me to anyone else, I would be immensely upset. For you wives here this morning, please don't be that person. As a male, knowing that your wife has your back, respects you, champions you, supports you, helps you and listens to you, that's of utmost importance. Now, how does this play out in your marriage? What does it look like in your context for, your, uh, for the wife to be the helper? Well, all of that is a conversation. There is discussion that needs to happen between the two of you about what that looks like. Remembering Paul's opening line, submit to one another. This is a level playing field. Make this a genuine conversation about how, as a wife, you can help, support, and respect your husband well in, uh, in what he does. So, wives, that's your card that you have been given. Now it's time to deal with the husband's card. It's husband's, this is the card that you have been given. In this passage, there are 55 words of instruction given to wives, but there are 162 words of instruction given to husbands. Paul has about three times as much instruction to give to husbands as he does uh, to give to wives. And I would say that he expects at least, probably more, three times as much from husbands as he does from, from wives. All the instruction for men flow from this one verse. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There are two primary responsibilities that men have from this passage. Firstly, sacrifice. And secondly, lead. You do this as Jesus does this for us. So firstly, your role is to sacrifice, is to love your wife, sorry, through sacrifice. Paul says clearly, as Jesus gave up his life for the church, you give up your life for your wife. A few months ago, I was having a, uh, a really busy time with, uh, with work and was having very little uh, downtime. And it was one of those periods where it felt like I got up in the morning and was going straight away. And then I had to keep going until I eventually crawled into bed at night. And it was like this for about two weeks. Um, but I had marked on my calendar the day that I had nothing booked and nothing planned. And I thought long and hard about what I was going to do on this day. Uh, there was a movie that I was going to watch. There was certain food I was going to eat. It was going to be a great day. And the day came closer and closer and I eventually awoke, ready for my brilliant day. Now, I hadn't told my wife about this brilliant plan that I had in my mind, unfortunately, and she, being a little bit more spontaneous than I, thought that we could do some other things. She saw this as an opportunity to get some of the things done that needed to be done while I looked after our, our young child. Now, I can't remember what the day really ended up looking like, but it didn't quite go to my plan that I had had for that day. Now, I'd love to say that in my heart, what I was thinking was, what a wonderful opportunity and privilege I have to serve my wife in this way today. But honestly, that's probably not how I, I felt. I'd been looking forward to this day and I'd felt like something had been taken away from me. 
Now, something similar happened, uh, uh, has happened a couple of uh, times in our, similar has happened a couple of times in our marriage. Um, and I realized as I was reading through this, Dave, it's actually your job to give things up. That's your role and sacrifice things to demonstrate love for your wife. Now, comparing my little sacrifice of a day to Jesus' immense sacrifice helped me realize that I need to get better at this myself. Now, my guess is that for many husbands in the room, you might need to give up something for, uh, for your wife. You might need to sacrifice something for your wife in order to display that you love her. Unfortunately, one of the negative things that I think has continued from, um, from, uh, from history is that for many men, they have this idea that their sole contribution to the house is simply going to work. Many men still have the view that when they come home, that their time is their own, that they can just go catch up with their mates, they watch whatever they want, they play video games, they go out fishing, they go play sport, and none of these things that I'm talking about are bad at all, but before any of that, you need to consider how can I show my wife that I love her through sacrifice? Are you, men, husbands, willing to give up something you really want to demonstrate your love for your wife? That's one part of what Paul is saying here to to husbands. He's telling them to give up things for your wife, but he's also uh, telling them to take on something, which is the role of the spiritual leader. In Paul's words, it's your job to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to Jesus as radiant, without stain or wrinkle or any other uh, blemish, but holy and blameless. So husbands, don't be passive in your spiritual leadership at home. Take this on as a mantle to pursue. For you wives in the room, please don't play the man's card. Please don't play the you're the spiritual leader. So you need to step up card. That's not your card to play. Paul's instructions here are addressed to husbands. Wives, enable your husband and support them in their spiritual leadership, uh, in their spiritual leadership role. Now, you probably would think that, uh, that me being the, uh, the lead pastor of this church has all of this down pat, um, but I need help from my wife to be able to make this happen. Uh, a, few, a few months after Zek was our son was born, my wife came to me and she was uh, talking about wanting to set up this nighttime routine for our family. Now today what this looks like is uh, most of the time we have dinner together, he has a bath, he sometimes has a feed, we read a book with him, we read the Bible with him, we pray together and then he goes to bed. Now when Sarah was first telling me about wanting to do this nighttime routine, I thought, but Zek's just a baby. He can't understand if we're reading him the Bible at all. He doesn't understand if we're praying for him. Why do we need to to bother? But she continued to encourage me towards this. And after a while, I began to see the immense benefits of this. Even though Zek isn't able to understand 100% of what we say to him yet. It's at the point now in our, uh, in our life where prayer time has now become my favourite time with Zek, and that's partly because it's the last thing we do before he goes to bed, but mostly it's a way of me investing spiritually into 
my family, even with my son at this very young age. And it happened because my wife enabled and empowered me to do it. For you guys, particularly those of you who hear this and you think, that's just not my personality. You don't need, uh, you don't lead through bossing your wife. Because you're the leader, it doesn't mean you're the boss, you lead through example. You lead through your Bible reading, you lead through your prayer, you lead through your own personal relationship with Jesus. Your job as a leader is to grow closer to Jesus and allow that to transform your marriage. So there's the first two big ones, uh, big cards done. And the next group, we'll go shorter with the, uh, with the next few. The next group that, uh, that Paul addresses here are children. Now, the level of apl- applicability here in this room uh, is probably going to be fairly low for this group because in particular, the people who he is addressing are young children, children who are below the age of 12. Um, from the age of 12, you were then considered an adult. There was no teenage years or adolescence. Girls got married from this age of 12 and boys went to work, mostly in the trade of their father or they might continue on in their studies. This doesn't mean, however, that nothing here is applicable in Paul's instruction for children, because Paul is using a timeless truth from Deuteronomy 5 verse 16, which is to honour your father and mother. That is true for you, whether you are six years old or whether you're 60 years old. So how do you do this? How do you talk about your parents to other people? Do you talk kindly about your parents? Do you comment on the ways that they annoy you and frustrate you? Do you honour your parents in conversation with others? Most people, if we are being completely honest, have probably complained about their parents at some stage to another person. No parents get things 100% right and it can be easy to judge them, particularly when you become the adult. But there is a really clear instruction here in Scripture that we probably don't talk about anywhere near as much as is presented in Scripture, which is honour your parents in how you talk about them, particularly to other people. If they're not around anymore, if your parents aren't around anymore, honour their memory. So that's the instruction to children. Paul goes on then to address parents. Here it reads uh, fathers, but it's really an instruction for anyone who has any position of dominance in the, in the home. So this is an uh, instruction for all parents to adhere to. I really like the way that the message paraphrase says this. Fathers, don't frustrate your children with no-win scenarios. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. The main point that Paul is trying to make here is that because you're in charge at home, don't allow that to make you think that you can do whatever you want that might affect your children negatively. Rather, take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. This was revolutionary for Paul to be speaking to, like this uh, to the Ephesian church. 
Children, as I said previously, they were considered property of the parents in the ancient world. They had no rights. They weren't regarded as people until they uh, reached adulthood. So to elevate children like this and consider them like equals and then calling parents to be the guide of their children was immensely countercultural in how Christian parenting was done. This is the one of the things that we can uh, lose sight of here in the Western church. It can be easy to fall into the trap that we export discipleship to the church. Now, the church plays a vital role in discipling your children. That's part of what dedication was about today. But discipleship starts at home. Yes, the church is a place for community and learning, but discipleship starts at home. It's not primarily the church's job to raise your child to understand who Jesus is. It's your job. So parents, endeavor to do everything you can to do that. This is why we provide resources for those of you who have parents in kids and junior church, uh, is why we uh, provide weekly resources from Orange. Parents, if you have kids at kids church, every single week you are provided with a devotional that you can do as a family for four days throughout the week. Don't underestimate the importance of going through this. Teaching your children the truths of Jesus from a young age will cement these truths in their minds. So that's the second set of relationships that, uh, that Paul now has finished. And then Paul seeks to address the final, uh, the final pair of relationships, which is workers and their employers. Now, Paul doesn't use the word workers. He uses the word slaves here. Um, and some of you who are uh, employees, you might feel like slaves at, uh, at different times. But what do we do with that word uh, as we see that at the moment? Throughout history, many groups of people have used this passage as a way of trying to condone slavery in the world. I mean, if Paul talks about it here without condemning it, surely slavery must be okay. But remember what we spoke about earlier. There is this redemptive movement of the Bible. What's the trajectory that was taking place here throughout Scripture? It's one where slaves are now being elevated and given value and worth. The trajectory here was that slaves were not to be viewed as property anymore, but viewed as people created in the image of God. This, it's this redemptive trajectory which was the primary argument uh, for the abolition of slavery in, uh, in the world. Now, the point of this passage, as some people have sought to do throughout history, is not at all about condoning slavery, far from it. If anything, you could, uh, you could argue the other way. It was giving instructions to the people who worked for others in how they should work for other people. So carrying this into our context today, who he's really addressing is those who were employees or workers for other people. And his instructions are clear. Work hard. Work like you would for Jesus. Always give your best. This is a valid instruction for workplaces, for ministries that you might serve in, for organizations that you might volunteer in. Wherever you are, always give your best like you are serving Jesus himself. But he also gives instruction, not just into how we should work, but the motivation in our heart. Don't work hard and your best just to get a reward 
whether it might be financial or promotion, give your best because in your working, you are working for Jesus himself, irrelevant of what your work entails. Whether you are a hairdresser or an accountant, work like you are working for Jesus himself. After the lockdowns of uh, of COVID-19, and people began to come back to their workplaces. There began a new trend with some workers, which was the trend of quiet quitting. Quiet quitting is when someone decided to do the very least amount of work possible whilst still being able to keep their job. People would start arriving for work at the last minute before their start time, and they would leave the moment that work was done. They would never do any time after hours. They would not contribute in meetings. They would not volunteer for projects or go the extra mile at all. They would do the bare minimum required to just be able to keep their job. And I would say that that is an immensely unbiblical way to go about your work. Everything that you do, you should do your best. Go above and beyond in your work. And the final group that Paul addresses here are employers. Paul encourages employers to treat their workers well. Don't abuse and threaten your employees. Under no circumstances are you to use threats as a means to motivate the people who work under you. Rather, Paul encourages employers to remember that you are now on an equal footing when it comes to how God views you both. You are not superior because you're the employer. Rather, you have a job to exemplify Jesus in the way that you lead. Now, before we finish, we've addressed all six of these groups. I just want to acknowledge that for many of you, what I have said might seem impossible. Your spouse might not be a Christian. Your parent may have abandoned you. Your child might have left you. Your boss might be abusive to you. Your employees might be lazy. If this is you, take heart. Because the point of this whole passage is not about Paul trying to set a whole bunch of rules for people to follow. It's about looking to Jesus and seeking to uh, emulate him in every single thing that we do. The one continuous example throughout everything that Paul says here is to look to Jesus. He is given as the example. If you want to be the best husband, wife, child, parent, worker or employer, don't read a bunch of self-help books or try and make yourself better through rules. Simply look to Jesus as your example. And I can honestly say with all sincerity that I am a better husband, father, son, pastor, and friend when I am walking closely with Jesus, and I promise that this would be the case for you as well. Would you please stand to your feet? I'm going to pray for us in a minute as the team comes up right now. And the group I would just particularly like to pray for today, because it's likely that you might be here, uh, here together, I'd particularly like to pray for, uh, for husbands and wives. So, uh, husbands, if you are standing next to your wife, I encourage you, this shouldn't be too strange to you, I encourage you to hold her hand as I pray for you 
uh, right now. And so, Lord, I just particularly want to pray, lift up anyone here who might have heard anything that I've said and thought, that is impossible for me. You don't know the person on the other side who I have to do this for. You don't know how difficult they are, how much they frustrate me. You don't know what they've done to me. And Lord, if that is in someone's heart right now, I just pray that you will bring forgiveness. Bring that into their heart, please. Lord, for all of us, help us to look to Jesus, who is the ultimate example of what it means in every single relationship and sphere in our life. Lord, for the wives and husbands here in this room today, would you draw them closer in their relationship with you? If there is any tension that they may, that they may have felt over the past little while, or any difficulty that they may have been going through, Holy Spirit, I ask you to intervene right now in a powerful way draw them closer together in their relationship with one another, but more than anything, help them to look to you, King Jesus, as the example for us to follow. In every sphere of our life, please God, we ask that you will be at work. We know that our workplaces are not separate from uh, from you wanting to be at work within us. So Lord, I really lift up everyone here today who is either an employer or an employee of anyone. Help all of us to give our best knowing that we are serving Jesus Christ. For all of us in this room, help us to honour our parents. Help us to speak well of them. And Lord, for anyone here this morning who is a parent, would you empower them and enable them to be able to disciple their children well? All of these things, God, we pray for you to do for your glory. And as we look to you, King Jesus, we want to follow your example. So enable us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.